Hey everybody, today's episode is going to be with Dorothy Kolb and what we're actually going to be talking about is a female specific view on making an entrepreneurial transition. And this is actually a really great conversation. And one of the things that I really took out of this is to really understand that, you know, understand where, some of the areas uh, where, where you know, traditionally females have a, you know, have a structural advantage or have a net advantage that they can bring into their life as entrepreneurs. Most specifically that at least I've observed that females tend to be very good collaborators. And that's one of the key skills that you need to succeed as an entrepreneur. Uh, so anyway, I don't want to give away the interview, but it's a wonderful listen and uh, let's get the show going. So the big question is this, how do value obsessed leaders ascend their business and life to world-class levels of effectiveness, even if they're inside a bureaucracy or starting from scratch with absolutely no capital? That is the question. And this podcast is going to bring you the answer. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is the Terminal Value Podcast. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Dorothy Kolb with us today, and that is with DKEast.com. But we, what we're going to be talking about is a female-focused entrepreneurial transition. And, you know, because, of course, I've had a number of guests who we've talked about making a transition from corporate to entrepreneur. That's what I have done. That's what a lot of people have done. But a lot of the people Dorothy works with in her practice are actually female professionals who are making that transition. And there are unique challenges. I think, of course, they'll be applicable to a lot of people, but particularly applicable to to females who are looking to make that entrepreneurial business transition. So anyway, Dorothy, please introduce yourself. And as always, don't let me talk too much. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to be here. Yeah, I am Dorothy Kolb and I'm a fractional CFO and I work specifically with women-owned businesses mm-hmm. in creative, social impact, and media production spaces. Well, and uh, so this is actually cross-connecting to another area of interest slash passion for me, which is that a lot of people who are in creative industries or who are in kind of creative endeavors, unfortunately, I think a lot of times end up not earning what their endeavors are really you know, worth. You know, because I think there's another podcast interview that we were talking about was how I think it's 95% of, of artists end up living at or below the poverty line. You know, So you know, there's an extremely high percent of people a percentage of people in creative endeavors who struggle financially. And I think that, you know, a, a good part about say an entrepreneurial transition is that it gives you that opportunity to create something that's uniquely yours. A difficult part is that there are a lot of skills you need in order to bring that opportunity to bear. And of course, you know, one of the things that you do is help either provide those skills, teach those skills or both. Uh, but I'd love to hear a little more about some of the things that you've seen and what are some of the tips, insights that things people can do, particularly females who are looking to really get their own endeavor going or are making looking to make a transition, say, from a corporate career in order to really be successful. Yeah. And, you know, you're right very much that a lot of women it, that are working in the spaces that I work in, which are creative, which are social impact, mm-hmm. don't, first of all, they're not finance minded. They're not on that. That's not the side of the brain they're working yeah. with that much. And especially when you get in the social impact space, you're looking at this kind of reconciliation in your head that should I be making a lot of money doing this? It's supposed to be for the social good. And the fact is that, yes, you can still reward yourself by making a a, decent living or a nice living while also impacting society, that they're not mutually exclusive things. But what I find is a lot of women leave corporate because they were, you know, they're not 
obviously not happy, but often, and this goes for men also, we're told in big corporate environments, we're we're diminished, our value is diminished, right? Because that's that's to the benefit of the corporation is to make you feel it can pay you as little as they could possibly do so that they better their bottom line. But in the process, you go through your career thinking, I'm not worth more. I'm not worth a promotion. They can't find the money for me. All those kinds of things. And it starts, gets in your head that I am not worth it. And when you finally decide, I'm going to go out there. And I struggled with this myself. When I finally decided, you know what, that's it. I'm going to, and my story is very different. (laughs) It's It's a mess. But when I first went out on my own, my hourly rate that I was charging as a fractional CFO yeah. was minuscule compared to men who had been doing the are doing the exact same thing. And it took me a while to think because you know you think, okay, this is what I made in my last yeah. job. I'll divide it by 2,000 hours in the year and that, but that's not the case. You're not getting the benefits and all these other things. And I think you know women especially struggle with I'm not worth it. Or I can't ask for that, or nobody's going to pay. We make assumptions, you know, nobody's going to pay me that. And they will. And, you know, actually, Mm -hmm. I had an accounting teacher way back in like my first or second year of college who said, if you're going to charge 20 bucks an hour or $500 an hour, you will get that client the entire time you're working. So don't start with the $20 an hour. They're just going to keep referring $20 an hour people to you. Right. But so I didn't even think of that until, you know, I don't know, 25 years later, where I was like, Oh my gosh, he's right. But I think it's, it's really important anyone leaving corporate to as much as they possibly can just get rid of that whole concept that I am not worth it. You know, it's out the door. That's why you're leaving this, this mess of a corporate America thing. And it's to surround yourself also with the resources that you need to make yourself successful. Mm-hmm. Because that's the other thing that I find, and I work with a lot of women who have left very high-powered corporate jobs, they're surrounded in that environment with an accounting department, with an HR department, with an IT person you can call if your computer dies or your phone doesn't work or whatever. And you find yourself out by yourself and you either think, I'm never going to be able to do this because I don't know how. Or I have to do all this by myself because this is my business and I'm expected to know how to do all these things. And both those are false. You don't have to do it all yourself. And there are, you know, just if you set yourself up with the resources and everybody's out there doing the job, right? Set yourself up with resources that can help and you don't have to do it all yourself and know it all yourself. Yeah. Well, and there's one other thing that we touched on in the pre-show that I'd like to bring in too, which is that. When you're in a corporate career, which of course, you know, I was earlier in my life, but when you're in a corporate career, what ends up happening whenever you're, say, a certain job grade, what ends up happening is usually there is a rating and ranking of all the people within a department in that same grade. And there's a small number of superior ratings and a small number of promotions that are available. So what that means is that you are ostensibly competing against everyone else at that same grade for the artificially low number of uh, promotion slots. When you go out on your own, that dynamic disappears. Because like, for example, you say you do business with somebody else. That doesn't mean you can't do business with me too. (laughs) That dynamic really disappears. And I would actually think that this is probably something that female entrepreneurs grasp faster than men which is the idea that you you move from a competitive landscape to a cooperative landscape. I'm just generally yes. speaking I I have observed that females tend to be better at cooperation, which actually incidentally I think leads to the value differential because there's almost always more value from cooperation than competition, especially kind of within a hierarchy. But hierarchies are 
built around competition. And then so a lot of times whoever ends up can end up out posturing will do better just because that's how the hierarchy is structured. Now, my personal view is that, you know, I think that instead of trying to re-architect how people are organized inside the broken system, I would say, let's help more people, women and minorities in particular, learn how to be fairly valued outside of that system, be valued for who you are, for what you do, because I think that's going to be more sustainable long-term. Just you know, a part of my view, I think that that corporate system is broken and it's going to hit some really big barriers in the near future. I may be wrong, but you know, that's the feeling that I have. Uh, so anyway, you don't have to address all of that, but that's just one of my observations. No, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Because what I found, you know, I worked in entertainment and sports yeah. for a long time. And it's very competitive with women. There were at the time very few. And the women that I worked with were not supportive and collaborative with other women. There was not the hand down to like, yes, we're all going to come up here. It was the, you know, the foot on the head going, (laughs) nope, there's only a couple of spots here. And one of them is going to be mine. And I don't want you anywhere near this. I mean, I've worked with not all of them, but a fair Mm -hmm. number of women who just had no interest in seeing anybody, any other woman succeed. And when I left corporate to be on my own, I honestly said, I don't want to work with women because they're competitive and it's, you know, I don't want to be in that environment anymore. But what I found was that women entrepreneurs are completely different from that. They have left that behind them because they also didn't like it and they're supportive and collaborative. And I remember the first job that I took and my story is that I was, you know, I got divorced. I have four kids. I was supporting them by myself. I no alimony, no child support. And I got laid off for my last CFO job. And I was so like, no oh, stress, no stress, none, none at all. And so I had to find something to do. And I wasn't, I couldn't like go back to driving an hour and a half each way to work. I had been working from home for quite a while. And so I took bookkeeping jobs mm-hmm. and, you know, that was like, oh God, whatever. But yeah, it paid the bills and all. But what was really neat was that the first couple of, you know, clients that I had were women and they congratulated me on starting my you know new and I was like wait what I thought I was surviving and they were like congratulations on starting your own business fantastic you know you should be proud of yourself and all that and how can we help who can we refer to you to help you along in this process and I was like holy cow wait wait what what? first of all I was like congratulations I thought I was just oh oh this is a thing oh fantastic and then wait how can you help me Really? And it wasn't just lip service. It was, well, you know, I really don't do bookkeeping. I'm really actually CFO level. Oh, wait, here, you know, here are two or three other, you know, referrals of people that I know right now are looking for that. And it was like, oh my gosh, you know? And and so I, all of a sudden I switched gears and I said, you know what? This is who I want to be working with entirely. I mean, I have a couple of guy clients and they're awesome and amazing. And if they ever listen, I love you guys too. (laughs) (laughs) But but it was it was just this this environment that I was now in where it was, you know, everybody was mm-hmm. in it to win it for everybody else. It wasn't just, you know, in it to win it for me. It was, no, we're all going to win. And it was such a great, yeah. great turnaround. And I think that's really a, an important aspect and indicative of the, you know, kind of of that transition 
which is that, you know, when you go out of a competitive environment to that, you know, to that ultimately collaborative environment, you know, which is, which is really what the business world is, because in order to succeed, you need to network, make connections, you know, give and receive referrals, et cetera. I think that really puts a new degree of dynamics on it. And, you know, because I think that a, you know, an important part of what you do. So for example, you are fractional, you, you provide fractional CFO services. Okay, well, probably a material number of people who come to you needing fractional CFO services need something else too. Well, so that means a part of the value that you provide is helping them get to that something else. Correct. And I belong to actually a couple of really great organizations where they're very female focused, one of them entirely, one of them 95% or something. Mm -hmm. And I, I come to the table looking like I have this enormous bench of just... Yeah. experts, you know, that I'm like, oh, you needed a lawyer to do IP. Yeah, I got that. Oh, wait, you needed somebody for branding. Yeah, I got that. Oh, wait, you wanted to bring DEI into your organization. I got that. And they do the same with me. Oh, you need a CFO. Yeah, I got that. You know, and, and mm-hmm. you just end up looking like you've got a lot more to your organization yeah. than you do and making yourself so much more valuable to your client because you're bringing all this with you instead of just, you know, no, it's just me. It's just me. It's super important. So one of the things you're touching on is I don't know that somebody else has articulated this, this quite this way yet. So I'm going to take credit for it, but I call it my value philosophy, which is that the way that I think about value and money, right? In the, you know, in my corporate career, what it's really about is everybody's trying to go after the most money they can And there's not that much concern about how much value they create along the way. If you do create value, it's, of course, it's desired, but between money and value, it's always about money. I personally feel that it should be, and the way I operate is the opposite, which is that I am really concerned about creating value first. And I'm not all that concerned if a giant truckload of money doesn't come into my front yard and pour $100 bills on me. The reason being that if you create enough value for enough people for enough time, there will be demand for your time and the money will come find you. If what you were doing is legitimately valuable, then, you know, then eventually there will be a shortage of supply because all people are constrained by the same 24 hours in a day. That's a philosophy, at least that I I really try to take forward. And I think that's actually a philosophy that female entrepreneurs tend to embrace. I think a little more, I would say a little more naturally than men. I'm not trying to dog on men here, but you know, the, one of the other things that I really believe here also is that I think there are comparatively few good or bad kind of traits, characteristics, et cetera. I think that there are certain traits and characteristics that are advantages in one domain and disadvantages in another, whereas there are different traits and characteristics that are advantages in one domain and disadvantages in another. So it, it, you know, and of course, what a lot of us got drilled into us in the, in our corporate career was to say, okay, you know what, these are your strengths, these are your development areas, go fix your development areas. Right. Okay. Well, how about it's like, all right, these are your strengths. Let's figure out a way to accentuate your strength and minimize your weak areas. Why is that so hard? (laughs) But nobody does it that way. No, um, and, the, no, and and I and I would offer up that they might even use those weaknesses as reasons for you not to advance or get a yeah, promotion you yes. know, or get a raise or whatever. It's no, oh. you need to work on these yes, things. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah, t- yeah. Take take the stuff you're naturally not good at, and I want you to devote all of your effort to becoming average, so that you know, so <laughs> that if you were an A player at one point, you are guaranteed to now be a B player. At <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which incidentally is why I think a lot of a, you know, a people think that A players get promoted. A lot of times they don't. A lot of times A players leave because what they end up doing is they end up saying, okay, why am I 
doing something that I know is dumb because somebody who's more important than me said so. Why don't I just go make value on my own? And I think that's actually one of the things that's really important for entrepreneurs to understand is that true, genuine A players cannot be indefinitely retained. And so this is kind of another one of my personal beliefs is that if you're going to go out and try to find A players, just be honest with them and say, hey, look, I know you're not the kind of person who's going to be working for me indefinitely. So here's what I want to do. I want to help you get to where you want to go and get your absolute level best along the way. And one of the things I'd like to include in that is help me find somebody like you so that when you move on, that I'm not stuck in a lurch juggling all the balls myself. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Oh, but anyway, good, we're, yeah. we're, we're kind of going far afield. This is a fun conversation, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and it reminds me of one of the organizations that I worked with. They, they were all about finding the right seat on the bus, you know, and not yeah. just like lip service playing that along. It was really conversations had yeah. on, hey, you're really good at this. You're not so great at that. What if we utilize you more for this other thing? And, you know, people enjoyed working there a lot more than they did yeah. for the places where it was Funny how your that performance works. improvement, you know, thing and what that plan. And, you know, you're going to have to get all these twos up to fours by next January. And you're like, or what? You know, yeah. Like. Yes, I go. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You have a performance inventory that's been subjectively evaluated by other people who yet other people have determined are more important than you are. And, you know, we have a one to five scale. You have two subjectively evaluated two needs to be turned into a subjectively evaluated four by date X. Otherwise yeah, you're considered even, a low performer. <laughs> yeah. Or even the places that I've worked where they, you know, as a manager, they're like, you know, they tell you, okay, you got, you know, 15 people employed, you know, working for you, they can't all be fives. And then you're forced into this. Well, now I've got to figure out, you know, the, whether it's the ranking or the rating or whatever. Now I've got to competitive, right? You're in a competitive situation where they they are all fives. It it reminds me, my ex-husband was coaching five-year-old soccer at one point and they, the league told him, you've got to rate and rank all of them. And he gave them all like 10 out of 10, every single player. And they were like, all of them. Yep. They're five. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Why are you even ranking and rating five-year-olds? I don't know. It was stupid. And he was in, it was called hot shots basketball, the little kids basketball. Only thing I really try to do is make sure nobody got injured and that they ran to the right basket. That's it. That's <laughs> exactly. And everybody's shoes were tied. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You got, yeah. Make sure your shoes are tied. Try not to hurt anybody and just shoot at the right basket. Just have fun and get some exercise. <laughs> exactly. But you try to bring that to the office too. I mean, I I was always about, I mean, I work in finance and accounting. We're not saving lives, right? Anything that you do, we can fix. Yes. Do your best, but, you know, let me know when things are going wrong and and then let's fix it. But just people getting so stressed out and and all that, and then this ranking thing, it was just, yeah. eh. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Well, okay. So, so let's see, I'm going to try to veer us back on topic. We're talking about female entrepreneurs effectively making that transition. So I think we've gone through a kind of few nuggets of wisdom. Are there any other key points that you think are really important to punctuate before we run out of time here? Yeah, you know, I always put this out there and people cringe, but it's, you know, you really need to understand your financial statements. I mean, it's one of those where everybody's like, oh, God, I knew she was going to say that she's a CFO. But it's true. If you don't understand them, you don't understand how your business is rolling. And my point there is that, yes, you can hire a bookkeeper or an accountant or a CFO Mm -hmm. or whatever, but they don't own your business. You do. And 
more importantly, if they are shoving financial statements at you, a PL and a balance sheet every month, and here you go, I close the books and you, okay, great. Yeah. And they're not explaining it and walking through it with you in a way that you understand. You know, I tweak mine to, okay, you don't want to see numbers on a page. You want to see a graph. You want to see yeah. a chart. You want to see, you want me to just talk you through it and do a yeah. narrative. I, what do you want? How do you want to understand this? Yeah. And so it's super important to be working with someone who explains things to you. Yeah. In a way you understand, because this is your business. You know, my, my background is finance also, you know, you know, kind of finance in the tech industry. But one of the places I think, you know, understanding your numbers is actually really critically important. And I think this is an aspect of this that I only really grew to truly appreciate over in the last you know, few years or so. Understanding your whole financial situation is, is important. But the place where we're really knowing your numbers can change your life is when you really start to understand, okay, what does it cost you to acquire a customer? What is the lifetime value of your customer? When you know those two numbers cold, what is the say first 30 days value? What is the first say, say first 90 days value? What's my first year value? What's my lifetime value? So then you start measuring, okay, your different customer acquisition mechanisms, right? What's your cost per acquisition for all those areas? Well, when you start getting to where, if you can get a situation where say your acquisition cost is less than your 30-day value, or let's put it the other way, where you can elevate your 30-day value to where it's higher than your acquisition cost, now you can grow infinitely. You know, Now you can pour money into marketing and know that it's going to come back to you multiplied. You know, right. And you cannot do that until you know your numbers. That to me is probably one of the places where really knowing your numbers cold is just so critically important because when you really know them cold about the right about the right places, then you can know when it makes sense to really invest in growth. Yeah, you know, and I actually do some educational things with women's entrepreneur yeah. groups and all. And one of the things that just always amazed me is when I ask someone, especially with products and things like yeah. that, like how much does this cost you to make? I don't know. How do you not, you should be knowing that like it costs this, this plus labor, whatever, dead cold every time. And, you know, once they really, I just walked, went through a whole webinar series with a group and we went through the whole budget and all that. And they were like, oh my gosh, I'm actually losing money. Yes. You can't even, you know, when you go through like your revenue minus your direct costs, is that a positive number? (laughs) And it's amazing that, that when they start to look at it, they're like, oh my gosh, this is like really enlightening and and really, Uh you know, valuable. And I can't believe I didn't think of it this way before. So numbers don't lie. No, they don't. And I think that's actually one of the places where, you know, collaboration, kind of getting back to the competition versus collaboration, where collaboration is really important because people who are naturally analytical sometimes tend to be creatively challenged. Not always, but sometimes. People who are naturally creative sometimes not always, but sometimes tend to be analytically challenged. And the best way to solve that problem is not to say you're analytical. So I'm going to give you a improvement plan for your creativity. I mean, maybe if that's what you want to do, but it's like, why don't you just partner with somebody where creativity is what they do? That's what they're passionate about. And then, you know, I'm going to date myself now, right? It's the Voltron lions that join forces to defeat the legions of evil. You know, it's, you know, <laughs> join forces with people who have different superpowers than you, you know, that way, you know, instead yes. of trying, instead of beating yourself up to become average in the areas where you're not wonderful, do what makes you wonderful and work with other people who are wonderful in areas where you're not. I mean, yeah. it, it sounds so simple when you say it like that, but it, a, a lot of people, myself included, struggle here. Yeah, no, 100%, 100% agree with that. 
All right. Well, uh, well, Dorothy, I think it's been a wonderful conversation. Let everybody know where they can find out a little more. Yeah. My website is dkeast.com. I am also on the socials. I'm on Instagram at dkeastasos, LinkedIn under Dorothy Kolb. And I am also on TikTok, believe oh, it or not. I'm on TikTok under the Dorothy Kolb. And that's actually been a lot of fun. So all, all of those, I you know, give out a bunch of, you know, little quick digestible tips and advice and things like that. Some of them more fun than others, but, you know, get on the mailing list, get the newsletter, that type of thing. It'd be great. Outstanding. Well, hey, Dorothy, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Doug. I had a great time. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Terminal Value Podcast. Please feel free to visit me online at www.terminalvalue.biz where you can subscribe, find me on social, and then we can connect and just keep the conversation going. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you and I hope you have a wonderful day. All rights reserved. No part of this broadcast may be produced in any form by any means without written permission from Business of Light, LLC. All trademarks and brands referred to herein are the property of their respective owners.